G'day and welcome to On The Road with Mike and Andy, the number one weekly Australian podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. You can listen to On The Road on the Australian Big Rig Roadshow and via podcast on iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud. Search for On The Road Aussie Trucking Podcast and hit subscribe. On The Road is brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer, leading the way with specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks, and industry advocacy for more than 45 years. Major podcast sponsor, NTI, nti.com.au. G'day and thanks for joining us for this week's all singing, all dancing episode of On The Road. In our Something To Talk About segment, we've got an interesting chat we've called The Wild Wild West. It'll blow your socks off, guaranteed. More great music from Aussie Rockers Street Pieces, that's a little later in the show along with our On The Road news. But first, Mike goes one-on-one with West Australian trucking legend Murray Lay. And when Murray talks about his big rigs, he ain't kidding, they are huge. Settle in for another great show, guys. Let's get it rolling. G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. <laughs> G'day, this is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Truck and radio is what we do across Australia 24-7. Loads of truck and classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage. Our email address, bigrigradio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there. The Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. I have got a bit of a treat for you today. Like named Murray Lay. Now, Murray is the managing director of one of the largest fleets of trucks in the country. Is that right, Murray? Yeah, I think we've got a fleet in the order of 120 or 30 road trains, Mike. I was reading you do about 150,000 Ks a day, your fleet. Yeah, so our fleet's based all over WA and the Northern Territory and is operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So every one of our trucks typically does sort of between six and a half and 7,000 hours a year. And on any one day, we sort of average between sort of 130 and 180,000 Ks. Tell you what, that's a hell of a diesel bill and a hell of a tyre bill, mate. Yeah, we, we churn through a bit, yep. Can I just ask you a rude question, mate? Far away. How many thousand litres of diesel do you burn a day? Oh, I wish I could answer that question for you, Mike, but... Um, <laughs> All right, well, we won't worry about it then. I don't look at it because it's a scary number, right? I'm sure it would be. Typically, our business burns in excess of sort of seven or eight million litres a month. Wow. Seven or eight million litres of diesel a month. Yep. That's just incomprehensible. It really is. Mate, I believe you started off as a one-man operation with someone helping you out, and now, as I say, you've got one of the largest fleets of mining equipment in the country... How did you get there, mate? How did you convince the wife to let you borrow five bucks? Well, I didn't have a wife at that point in time, so <laughs> um, it's a chain of events, really. So I was born into a transport family, so my parents had trucks and earth-moving gear and you know, worked in and out of the family business over a period of years. But then I did a trade as a baller maker welder and mm. finished that trade, did a bit of stuff back in the family business drive and went away and worked for a series of guys all over the country, really. But then 
come back to work for a fellow called Doug Gould in Kegley that was a you know, relatively small but quite innovative operator at that point in time. So he was one of the first operators at Quad Road Trains. One thing led to another and an opportunity came up within the family business to buy out one small part of it, which was one truck and one small contract. You know, that was kind of my leg up, really. It was a, it was a truck that was already operating. So I walked off to the bank as a 25-year-old and asked my friendly bank manager for a fairly large amount of cash and bought my first truck and, and we got into it. And the rest's history. Yeah, and I guess you know, what we have experienced over that period of time has been, I guess, a trajectory of growth that's continued on. And, and that's been a combination of a few things. Great support out of the local industry. So we're headquartered out of Kalgoorlie, but we operate all over the West Australia, Northern Territory and, and into Queensland. And our customer base has grown with us. So we come into the industry at a time when there were some smaller businesses that are now really big mining businesses in Australia that, that were started in Kalgoorlie. So we've grown with them and that's helped us drive our growth. But we've also been very fortunate to attract some sensational people. Yep. Our team, I believe, in our industry is second to none. They've been responsible for helping me drive the growth of our business. I've been talking to Helen and your personal assistant. Seems to me that you really do place a high value on your people. And I just look at your Facebook page and the tone of it, the amount of promotion that you give people recognition. And I would think that your people are the salt of the earth as far as you're concerned. And your people are actually what drive your business, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. And the last 12 months as we've gone through this pandemic across the country, it's been our people that have stood up. Mm-hmm. Our business is a little bit unique compared to most transport businesses. So we have lots of remote sites with guys that will fly in on two weeks on, one week off type rosters. And we fly people from all over the country. Prior to COVID-19, you know, we're, we're bringing people out of New South Wales and Queensland and South Australia and Victoria on a regular basis into all other parts of the country. And you know, we've had people that have been away from home for six and seven months. Yeah. The sacrifice that we've seen our people actually make to our benefit you know, so they're there to help us operate our fleet and deliver for our customers. A lot of the times to their family's detriment has been very humbling and paints a great picture of how strong our people are and how much they're prepared to commit to our business, which is fantastic. It is. So Kalgoorlie's a lovely little town. I managed to get into Kalgoorlie a couple of times when I was running Perth with my other half doing the two-up job I used to do across from Sydney to Perth. I ended up having a clutch put in there at the Kenworth agent there in Kalgoorlie. Pretty good. They looked after me pretty well when I was there. It's a great little community. We we really enjoy living here. To be perfectly frank, my job would be a lot easier to do based in a regional city such as Perth or Melbourne or Sydney because the majority of people I deal with nowadays are contracts type people and, mm. and that's where they're based. But we love being surrounded by the people that are working within our business and we, we love living regionally. So... I think we're going to have our roots firmly planted here for a long time to come yet. Yeah, that's a hell of a hole in the ground, mate. They lent me a ute when I was over there at CJD. The service manager said, here, jump into that and go for a bit of an explore. And Rose and I went up and we had a look at that hole. That's a hell of a hole in the ground there. Yeah, she's a big hole (laughs) and getting bigger. Oh, mate. So how many tonnes of rock do one of your triple side tippers move in a turn? So it depends. We've got a bit of a varied fleet. So I guess the bread and butter of our business is bulk ore haulage. So we're typically carting from a remote satellite mine into a central processing facility or from a processing facility to a port for export. Mm. And that's made up of a combination of things. It's, it's on-road or off-road. So if I look at the on-road component, we run a few different combinations. So we have a 42-metre triple road train here, which runs a 100-tonne payload. Right. We have a 53-metre, what we call quad, or B-double and two dogs, 
which is like a standard triple road train with it with an A trailer added into it. Yep. They're typically 53 and a half metres long and they're running sort of 110 to 112 tonne net payload. And then we have what we call a 60 metre super quad, which is 60 metres long and typically running a payload in the order of about 138 tonne. That's a lot of truck. It is. And then uh, we transition into our off-road stuff. We run some high GCM fleet in our off-road configuration and they are payloads at the bottom end start at 160 tonne and at the top end sort of finish up at 250 tonne payload. So. Wow. That's just mind-blowing. It really is mind-blowing. When you consider my B-double that I run up and down the highway on the east coast is about 68 tonne somewhere around there with all the mass management and all that sort of thing, that's just nothing. Your load's greater than the mass of my truck. <laughs> yeah, we've got a, a big operation in the Tanami Desert in the, in the Northern Territory. Yeah. We run a fleet of C510 Kemworths, and they're running at sort of 220, 230 tonne net, and those trucks tear at 78 tonne empty. Wow, 78 tonne. There's a lot of tyres too. What's it, 70-odd tyres, 70 or 80 tyres on something like that? Yeah, between 70-odd on the on the small ones through to yeah. about 94 on the on the big combinations. So, so you're probably after a tyre fitter then? Always after a tyre fitter. We <laughs> typically buy our tyres in 40-foot container loads and we buy a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, oh man, I've been looking at some of the ads that you've got on there and it just seems as though there's something for everyone and uh, I'm almost tempted to come and have a go. <laughs> this game's all about people, right? But it's a game that's not for everyone, but it's quite accommodating. So yep. it offers a good balance of lifestyle, earning capacity, variability. You get to go all sorts of places and look at all sorts of things. Yeah. But also you know, the ability to be able to get across both transport and mining, yep. which is you know, kind of unique, really. Tell you what, there's some fairly unique places out there too. I ended up in the Cooper Basin a few times there, carting mining gear, and there's some beautiful sights out there. I used to like to get up on the back of the trailer at night time when you pulled up on the side of the road and there's dead silence and no lights and you just lay there and look at the stars. It's an incredible thing. Oh, it is. There's some absolutely beautiful countryside out in the back blocks of Australia that fortunately I get an opportunity to look at quite regularly, but you know, lots of Australians don't. Yeah. It's a beautiful country we live in. Absolutely. So, Murray, where we crossed paths and the point of this whole conversation really is, you know, I wanted to have a chat with you about corporate responsibility and workplace health and safety. Even though you're over there with your unique freight task and we're over here with ours, we've all sort of got the same sort of responsibilities for the safety of our people. I know that you've been an early adopter of technology in the cab. and How does that work for you over there? How have your drivers gone with it? What have you done to sort of make things better from the safety point of view of your operators? I guess from our perspective, we've run a few different systems and you know, they've evolved and changed as we've gone along. We started with some basic GPS tracking through the MT Data product and Hawkeye and you know, forward-facing cameras and mirror cameras and so forth. And, and a lot of that was really, you know, in its infancy, was about just protection of our guys. So, yeah. you know, we just found when you're interacting with a lot of traffic with a four-trailer road train, big blue and white shiny truck tends to stick out. Yep. And, oh, your truck's going too fast or your truck did this or your truck did that. So the advent of forward-facing cameras into our operation was really around looking after our people and, and it did that very well. Mm. I guess the, the big step change for us outside of the GPS tracking was the integration of fatigue monitoring in cab. Yeah. And I'll be frank, like, you know, I cut my teeth as a road train operator and 
the thought process of having an infrared camera staring at me wasn't something that excited me. Mm. So as much as working through the process with our guys and getting them up to speed, it was myself getting up to speed around the privacy piece. You know, I'm a big believer in you need to empower your people to go about their job and do it well and, and have a level of responsibility and ownership with it. But the reality of it is, Mike, that we have a rising regulatory compliance requirement as directors of businesses nowadays, and, and we're getting more and more pressure from the regulator to make sure we're providing a safe workplace. And you know, we do a lot of kilometres, 70,000, 80,000 k's a night, every night across our fleet, and with that comes a huge fatigue risk. Yeah. And so when the DSS product first sort of started developing a little momentum coming out of the back of the University of Canberra there, now, we started looking at it and going, well, maybe this can deliver something for us. And we started some small-scale trials and had some challenges. You know, for instance, when you're tipping a side tip a road train, you need to look in the mirror a lot. Mm. When you're driving a quad road train, you actually spend a fair bit of time looking in the mirror, probably a lot more than what you do with a single. So you know, things like getting the parameters right for our operating environment was really important. But over a period of time, we work with the Guardian team and, and have now today got a system that does a multitude of things. It very much allows myself as a person with ultimate responsibility for our team to go to bed at night knowing that we've got a system in place. It's a tool for our people to use. It's not something there that's there to police them. Mm. And that's something that we drive really hard. DSS for us in our fleet is not there as big brother, something to discipline them through. It's a tool to help them highlight the fact that they're fatigued. And if you're fatigued, stop, have a coffee, have a spell, have a sleep, do whatever you need to do. Yeah. Much rather see a truck pull out of a truck bay and, and go down the road than the alternative. Yeah. That's really the fundamental drivers for us. We'll be back for the rest of this great chat right after this. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Your driver's lives are invaluable, but the equipment's not cheap either, isn't it? And the, you know, obviously, potential loss of a driver is, is one thing, but all the other consequences that go along with that, they'd be fairly commercially intolerable these days as well, wouldn't they? Well, there's the commercial piece and there's the moral piece, right? Mm. The commercial reality is you can monetize. You can actually stand back and look at it and go, well, I know if that truck goes down or if it's off the road or, or if an accident happens to it, I lose X amount of revenue. That's one piece. Yep. What you can't place a monetary value on, but as far in excess of any monetary value, is what happens if someone is seriously hurt or worse of all, there's a fatality. Mm. The most unimaginable thing I have as a director of a business with north of 300 road train operators working for us mm. is to have to pick up the phone and ring someone and say, your partner has been hurt, maimed, or worse still, has been killed in a, in a fatigue-related accident. Mm. 
that one thing is one of the biggest drivers for me to ensure that we're providing a safe workplace for our people. I want everyone to be able to contribute, do their piece, earn a good wage, and then go home to their family. And that's the bottom line, isn't it, really? Correct. Yeah, it is. It's driven an interesting process. You know, road train operators are you know, typically an ageing workforce across the whole of the country, and I think we're all dealing with that. It's an industry that's had a large amount of regulatory compliance placed on it, which in turn doesn't allow for it to be attractive to the younger generation to come into because it's, it's having more and more regulatory compliance placed on it. Mm. There's good points and bad points with that. But when you're educating a work group that has been you know, so used to doing something a particular way and has had so much freedom for so many years, it comes with some challenges, right? I'm sure it does. It does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, the reason that I wanted to be really convinced of the attributes of DSS was the fact that I'd spent so long in the cab. I'd done the best part of streaming in K's myself before I stepped out of the truck into a management role. Mm. And and I'd done that without a single you know, camera, forward-facing, rear-facing, or DSS. Mm. But I'm also the first to admit that I had some close shows from a fatigue perspective. Mm. I wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, when I sat down and looked at it and went, well, what happened to you, Murray, as an operator? Well, yeah, I, I was lucky then and I was lucky then and I was lucky then. And whilst there was three or four occasions, there were ones where I was very lucky and it could have gone either way, right? Yeah. And that's sort of what cemented the, yeah, well, right, yeah, this system has some really good benefits. Let's give it a crack and see how we go. That's great. I mean, you've got your equipment there set up now across your fleet and obviously you'd have some idea of how you were going from an accident incident point of view before that started. Has that changed much since you've put this technology in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the net benefit or the flow on effect. Mm. There's a few net benefits and flow on effects. So we haven't had a fatigue-related incident across our fleet since the inception of DSS. Yep. Our distraction-related incidents have dropped substantially. Yeah. I guess the early detection of people's potential health issues, for example, sleep apnea, we've had a rise in the ability to be able to detect that. So and when people are having continuous micro-sleeps or fatigue-related incidents, you're able to use that as a tool to go, well, come on, maybe you need to go and do something about this. Yeah. But it's also driving, I guess, a culture of preparedness for work, right? Mm. When you're on shift and you're working six to six like our guys do, everyone loves to have a beer, everyone loves to have a good time at the end of the day. And, and that hasn't gone away, but what we've noticed is there's a definite improvement in people's preparation for their shift. So they, they make sure that they're getting to bed at an earlier time. They make sure they're eating that little bit better because it has an effect on their ability to be able to perform. So typically when we've implemented DSS into a particular operation and, and we rolled it out from site to site to site, mm. you would see this... I guess a baseline level of fatigue and distraction events, but quite quickly you see that drop. Yeah. So people start preparing, they start making sure they get some better sleep, they start eating a bit better, and, and that's a net benefit to both them and ourselves. Yeah. One of the greatest things that I've sort of found, from my point of view anyway, you worry when you, you know, you're at work, and I mean, there are a lot of guys out there that are driving trucks, and as you've said, it's an aging workforce at the moment because we've got a few issues to solve in recruitment and retention. You're seeing guys that are you know, my age, 57, older and younger, and we're still out there doing the same things we were doing a while ago, but our health is changing. You've still got the bills to pay and you worry about the health issues and something like sleep apnea. It's not the end of your job. If it's detected early and you go out there and you take the necessary steps to address the issue, it doesn't mean the end of your driving career, does it? No, absolutely not. One thing that I guess our industry is very good at is ensuring that we put some support around our people with their health issues. 
And when I say our industry, I mean the mining-related transport industry. We spend a lot of time on people's health and well-being, time and resources. So, yeah, you're dead right. We help people work through the process of having sleep studies done and yeah. changing rosters around. And there's a multitude of things that you can do to try and help that process. Yeah. When I was talking to Heather Jones from Pilbara Heavy Haulage Girl, she was saying to me that it can cost $20,000 to put a bum in a seat in a quad. Yep. Is that something that you'd agree with? Absolutely. By the time you work through the process of getting all your medicals done, getting your training done, getting verification of competencies, obviously you can't just take someone straight out of a B-double and jam into a quad road train. They're a very different beast to operate. Mm. With that comes a, a level of training and time that needs to be put into them and potentially is the best part of 15 or 20 grand by the time you set someone free that hasn't had a decent level of experience before. So the reality of it is, and it backs up your case, you're not going to use technology to give someone the boot. You're more about improving on the investment and getting that relationship back in return, aren't you? One of the biggest arguments that I've heard against this sort of technology is, oh, yeah, they're just going to use that to pick and flick guys. And, and that's just not the case, is it? No, definitely not. No, if we've got one challenge in our industry, it's attraction and retention of quality people, right? Mm. For us, DSS is there from a fatigue perspective to be a tool to be used. You know, if, if someone's having continued DSS fatigue events, our supervisors have a process in place where they need to identify that and they need to be pulling the guys out of the truck and take him through a series of conversations around why, how and when and, and looking at the fundamental reasons behind that. Again, with the, the distraction alarms, ensuring that the guys just maintain focus on what they're doing. So you know, we've got our parameters opened up a little bit on distraction because you're looking in the mirrors quite regularly and so forth. But ultimately, your focus and your attention needs to be on the road in front of you and what your truck's doing. Mm. That tool is there to be used as a the guidance tool for the guys in the cab too. And, and we don't use it as a disciplinary tool at all. Yeah, I know it certainly makes you uh, focus what you're doing when the cab buzzes, but when the seat buzzes under your bum because you've been looking in the mirror for five seconds. And you're like, oh. <laughs> it jerks the slack out of you, that's for sure. It does. And I'd be lying if I said to you sometimes I've been looking in the mirror because I'm looking at what's going on down the side of the trailers or something like that, and it gives me a bit of a jerk, and I get that WTF moment and give the camera a mouthful of abuse and say, I'm driving the truck, leave me alone. But at the end of the day, it's probably not a bad thing to get a reminder occasionally either. I think we all do. Yeah. I think every one of us, regardless of what we're doing, need a little bit of a tap behind the ear yeah. at different points in time to come on, focus, you know. <laughs> so what role do you see telematics fulfilling in transport in the long term? I think the integration of all technology needs to be done and with a balance, right? Mm. I think the analysation of data is important, particularly in optimising your fleet. But you know, what we don't want to do is create a bunch of robots. We still want our people to be able to make decisions, control their destiny to a certain degree and do what they do out in the road every day as representatives for our, our relative businesses. Mm. The important part about telemedics and technology in general is just making sure we can do it as efficiently and safely as practically possible yeah. without taking away the ability for people to be able to think. You know, where telematics and data play a really good part is optimising your fleet when if they turn left three times and right twice every day, day after day, well, you know, you can optimise your fleet really well. But the time will come when something's in the road and that route's got to be done differently and you need your people to have capacity to be able to think and make good, sound decisions. And, and that's something that we don't want to take away. And that's probably one of my fears with the amount of telematics and data analysation that goes on in our industry nowadays. Yeah. It's, you know, we still need to allow 
people to be able to think and make decisions. Well, we've got blokes like you that are at the helm of companies like yours and saying things like that. I think we're in a good place. At the end of the day, things change and ebb and flow on a daily basis. And to get the best out of everything, you need your people at that point in time to be making the right decisions. And the only way you do that is if you create a culture of allowing them to make decisions. The point I make, I guess, Mike, is what I don't want to see happen out of telematics is remove all people's decision-making capabilities because when it's required for them to make a decision, they don't know how to. That's right. What's on in Kalgoorlie tonight for entertainment, mate? A bit of a quiet weekend, this one. So we're ramping up into Christmas party season. And as of next weekend, we've pretty well got something on every weekend through to Christmas. Yep. I think the whole town is having a bit of a quiet one. We've just come off a big spell. So we've had our Goldfields Desert Race, off-road race a couple of weeks ago. We've We've just recently had our annual race round. So, you know, September, October are really quite social months here where the weather's getting beautiful at night time and everyone's getting out and having a drink and enjoying each other's company. Mm. And then everyone sort of takes a little bit of a breather over the first few weeks of November before we get cracking for Christmas again. So, yeah, we've got a big few weeks coming up, but I know personally myself, I'm going to be having a quiet weekend at home. <laughs> going to hide for the weekend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, I saw some pictures on your Facebook page of some guys with bikes. Were you one of those guys? Definitely not, mate. Definitely not. <laughs> uh, no, that's our, our safety team that are based out of Perth. They've got a bit of a push on at the moment. Yep to get out and get a bit of a health-conscious push-on, so yeah. we're encouraging them. But I, I had to laugh. One of my safety advisors stood back and said, have a look at us. We're like a bunch of Porsche 911s in Lycra, you know. <laughs> Not a straight line anywhere. There's a little bit sticking out all over the place in the Lycras. Yeah. So getting out and having a crack, they're also pretty light-hearted and having a good laugh at themselves. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to have a talk to a bloke named Vincent Ho, who's a, a gut doctor over here in Sydney, and he's been pointing out about some diets and things. Perhaps some of the guys might benefit from having a look at his webpage. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. I know I could certainly benefit from it, mate. Go for a bit of a jog around one of those road trains and check the tyres, get a bit of movement going, get everything happening properly. Yeah, interesting stat for you. I, um, I put a pedometer on one day when I was still driving. Hmm. You know, we're in a, a relatively short-haul job. It's a 60-kilometre lead, which is consistent with what we do. And mm. over the period of a 12-hour shift, I did 14,000 steps checking yeah. tyres and rolling tarps and loading and unloading the truck. So yeah. you can bang out a few Ks a day driving a quad road train, that's for sure. Yeah, well, it might be good from an exercise point of view, mate. I actually spend too many hours just sitting there looking out over the bonnet. Yeah. Listen, Murray, it's been great to catch up with you. Thanks for getting in touch with me. I'd love to come and visit you one day when I'm over there and we can maybe have a beer or something. For sure, that'd be great, Mike. All right, Murray. Appreciate the work that you're doing. I think it's, it's really important that we have some representation through media and into our regulators that comes from the ground up. And it's great to see people like you taking the time to put the effort in and reach out and, and get some information flowing through. So I'm, I'm greatly appreciative of it. Thanks, mate. Thanks for joining us on the road. Not a problem. Anytime you want to get out there, just let me know. You've got my number. Thank you very much. Hey everyone, Kermie here. Hope you're travelling well, staying safe and on the right side of the white line, by which of course I mean the left. I also hope you're tuning in to the On The Road podcasts with Mike and Andy, because if you're not, two things will happen. One, you'll be missing out on some great interviews, a good few laughs, and what's generally going on out there in truck land. Uh, what's the other thing? Ah, that's it. You won't have heard this plug for On The Road. Hmm. Okay then, so those of you who are already on here, go and tell your mates about On The Road. They can find it on Spotify or iTunes at On The Road Aussie Trucking Podcast. But you knew that, didn't you? Because you're already... Yeah, look, just go and tell them, okay? Cheers and take care of you. (laughs) 
Just a quick word about our sponsors. Go to our webpage, www.ontheroadpodcast.com.au and you can see who the friends of the show are. And if their products are something that you are interested in or something that you may need, please support them because they support us and they bring our show to you. Road News is brought to you by Big Rigs, Australia's national road transport newspaper. Morning, Mike. Good morning, mate. How are you today? Doing all right, thank you, buddy. Hey, listen, I've just heard the announcement that as of 2024, mm. breakdancing is going to be introduced as an Olympic sport. Now, that'd be right up your alley, being the lithe gymnastic dancing fool that you are, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, I couldn't believe it. It's really one of the. You just imagine the uh, the Spartans doing a bit of break dancing, mate. They did. They did do break dancing. The Persians weren't really fans. No, they were the ones that got broke. <laughs> they were the ones that got broke. <laughs> it's quite amazing, isn't it, that something like squash doesn't get in as a sport, which yeah. it is. Anyway, it's all too hard to comprehend. So we'll leave that be. Let's just go on with the trucking news, shall we, mate? Let's do that. <laughs> News to hand, Mike, that Coles and the TWU have signed a charter on standards in road transport focusing on safety, driver education and mental health. Nice, isn't it? It all sounds very nice. It does. I, look, I'm always happy when Coles and the Transport Workers Union sign an agreement. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not even being sarcastic. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is a big thing. There is a lot in this. And by all means, go ahead and read the story. Old mate Matt Swindells and old Kane from the Transport Workers Union, National Secretary Michael Kane, they've got together and they've shaken hands and lifting the standards of road safety in Australia. I'd like to see them lift the standards on what happens in the distribution centres as far as cheap and long distance drivers sitting there for hours and not getting any money for it. That'd be nice. Yeah. But I mean, that's another story. I've sort of asked the TWU if Michael Kane would like to talk to me, and I'm still waiting for an answer on that. So anyway, we'll see. But there's a great long list of things that they're going to try and do there. And look, all of these things are good things, and we really shouldn't denigrate the agreement if it bears fruit. You know, as I say, I'd encourage people to get on the Big Rigs website and have a look at the story. Yeah. But you know, there's a hell of a lot of work to be done, and I'm afraid sometimes I get a little bit cynical about this sort of thing. Yeah. Well, at least a step in the right direction, I guess. It is, mate. It is. And in New South Wales, the long-awaited Coffs Harbour bypass has finally been given the green light. It has, mate. I'll tell you what, detour around Coffs, and all the locals are applauding and they all reckon it's fantastic, and I honestly think that it's a great thing. Coffs is a bit of a pain to drive through, Mm. and, you know, there's been more than one little accident there and all the rest of it. So we've got the green light now. They can go ahead and bypass Coffs Harbour, and it's probably really the last bit of bypass work to really be done on the highway between New South Wales and Queensland. And I honestly think that it's, you know, it's a good thing, obviously, improves road safety. I just wonder whether the townsfolk, like the townsfolk of Albury, say, Mm. will be ruining the lost business from the vehicles that won't go through there and stop and buy a sandwich or buy fuel. You know, it's all right for the service centres that are actually on the highway. Mm. But, you know, they've got the green light and it's, it's a good thing. Yeah, good, good. Well, let's stay in New South Wales for a moment, but a bit further north. Mm. The 27-kilometre upgrade on the Newell Highway has been completed and is now open to traffic well ahead of schedule. Yeah, that, I mean, it's not really open to traffic ahead of schedule. Oh, OK. <laughs> well, look, they're saying that it is, but there's, a, there's still a little bit of work to be done. Yeah. They're shutting down the site from the 18th of December and the speed limit's not going to go back up to 110 for a little while. The 27-kilometre section of the road 
still has a little bit of work to be done on it. So yes, it's open and yes, it's being used, mm. but it's not quite finished. Right. But look, it is ahead of schedule. There's no arguing about that. Congratulations to the RMS and those that have been involved in the in the building of it. I, I've driven over it a few times while they've been working on it and I can see the improvements that have been made. You know, the lanes are nice and wide and it's a great piece of road, but it's in the whole scheme of things, 27 kilometres of road on the new highway, well, there's a lot of road around there to be built, you know. So yeah, it's uh, it's a good thing, though. Between Maury and Narrabri, it's uh, pretty good. Good, good. And, mate, last but by no means least, I've recently overheard a few times the catchphrase 50 for a farmer around the traps. Yeah. What's that all yeah. about? Mate, 50 for a farmer is a charity, and they've been running in New South Wales for a, a little while now. They are a registered charity. Hmm. The idea behind it is to donate 50 cents to, to support you know, and help out the farmers a little bit. I first heard about them last year when I did the water run with Caring for Our Farmers. Anyway, we raised a heck of a lot of money last year with Caring for Our Farmers, and there's a bit left over in the account after we've paid all the bills and all the rest of it. Hmm. And so Caring for Our Farmers, which is what I was involved in, yep. and 50 for a farmer of joint forces, and we're going to be doing something on the Australia Day long weekend. So we, we haven't actually made up our mind. We've actually got a meeting about it in the next couple of days, getting the uh, the committee together from both parties, and we're going to work out what's going on. But we're going to be going somewhere in the country. We're going to be doing something to help a farming community. So stay tuned, basically. But I'm happy to announce that that's, that's going to happen. And I'm looking forward to getting back on the road and doing something constructive in a charitable nature. So get on Facebook, look up 50 for a farmer. Any donations that people might like to make, they can direct to them because they're a registered charity. It would be a tax deductible donation. Mm. More news to come, mate. Stay tuned. Absolutely. Look, it's, it's good to hear that's what it's all about. I had an entirely different picture in my mind. I thought it was going to be something like a, a spin-off from Farmer Wants a Wife or something, and they were they were selling off the excess farmers, auctioning them off for 50 bucks each or something. That's an idea. I reckon you can make, raise a few bucks doing that. There'd, there'd right. be a few farmers out there that'd be in it too, I'd say. I'll start writing the script and the screenplay right now. Good on you, mate. No worries at all. Keep it safe, Mike. We'll talk to you later, hey? Okay, don't. No worries, mate. Take care, and we'll see you next time. Cheers, buddy. For all the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. Hey, this is Ben Tilney from Street Pieces, and you're listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy.
but something holds you back. You wanna be loved, are you worthy of that? And then you question everything you've been told. And now you're looking straight ahead, forgetting what they said. Say goodbye, see your life unfold. As you run, run, yeah, you can run, you can run right to the other side. to road transport, safety is everything. Seeing Machines Guardian minimizes the risk of fatigue and distraction for drivers and provides real-time monitoring centre analysis and appropriate intervention. Already trusted by more than 400 of the safest road transport businesses around the world, find out how Seeing Machines Guardian can safeguard your fleet, your valuable cargo and most importantly, your drivers. Visit www.seeingmachines.com spoke with Murray Lay from WA. Mike left the tape rolling. Well, it's all digital really these days, so we don't actually use tape anymore, but well, you know what I mean. What ensued was a fascinating snapshot of WA trucking history that was well worth sharing with you. Here's the post-recording chat that they had. This is The Real Wild Wild West. It's very interesting to people, and you might not be aware, but on the East Coast, Western Australia is like another planet. I do get that reasonably regularly. You've got a very, very different feel for things over there and a different set of rules, and people don't understand why it's the case. So it's a completely different kettle of fish. It is, and where WA is fortunate is we've had a pretty accommodating regulator for a period of time. 
WA main roads more like they've been pretty bloody innovative and, and have allowed some operators that push the boundaries. Mm. Locally, as an example, when tri-drives and quad road trains first come into fruition here in WA, you know, nearly 26, 27 years ago, we had a local guy called Gary Connell, was a fuel distributor, and went to main roads and said, I want to make tri-drive trucks and I want to add an A-trailer in and I want to run quads and I want to do this and I want to do that. And we had a guy called Albert O'Neill was running main roads at the time and, and he went, go away, Gary. I like your dreams, but you know, I'm never going to get that through the directors of main roads, you know. Anyway, so Gary just went and got them built. <laughs> he got Kenworth to build three tri-drive T501s at the time, and Timon's built the tankers and the dollies for him. And then he rang Albert O'Neill up and said, Albert, there's a plane ticket for you to fly to Kalgoorlie, and I'll have a helicopter waiting for you, and you can watch my tri-drives carting 147,000 litres of fuel to Mount Keith, which is sort of 480 k's to the north of here. And Albert said, what do you mean, Gary? And he said, I've got them built and they've been running to Mount Keith without permits for the last two weeks. <gasps> <laughs> so they flew Albert up. Albert jumped in the chopper and he followed one of the trucks up the road for the best part of 100 k's, looking at how it performed. And he went, right, oh, Gary, you win. Yep. He went back to the director of main roads with all the video footage and said, these guys have done that. And that was the birth of tri-drives and, uh, and quad road trains in WA. Tell you what, it's a hell of a big money bet to make though, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but that's, I guess, in our industry in WA, we've got a fair few characters like that that are prepared to have a red-hot crack. You know, so. Can I actually put that out? <laughs> Can I say that? Yeah, 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 that's common knowledge, so. All right. Unfortunately, Gary's health isn't that great nowadays. He's not in a really position to be able to talk about it. Mm. Yeah, but he's one of the guys. Him and another fella, if you want to do a bit of research, a fella called Ross Atkins out of Makerfarrah. Mm. Really instrumental in driving that tri-drive, four-trailer type combination in WA. Wow, that's it's mind-blowing. <laughs> it really is. Love your work. Beautiful, mate. Thank you. Appreciate your time. So that was Murray Lay from MLG in... Kalgoorlie, Western Australia. Murray is the owner and managing director of one of the largest privately owned fleets in Australia. Thank you very much for his time. Take care out there and we'll see you on the road. Well, that brings us to the end of another On The Road show. We hope you enjoyed it. On the Road is brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer, leading the way with specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks, and industry advocacy for more than 45 years. For all your transport insurance needs, visit the website at nti.com.au. For more On the Road news and additional features, visit our website at www.ontheroadpodcast.com.au. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the podcast, offer suggestions, or just let us know what's on your mind, send us an email to mike at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Be sure to join us same time next week for the next episode on the road. In the meantime, play nice with each other, and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. The team here at On The Road are great believers in the right to freedom of speech, and whilst we might not always be in 100% agreement with the views and opinions of our guests and contributors, we firmly support their right to hold and express those opinions.